Hello, and welcome to another episode of Jackson Talks. Everybody, with me, your host, Jackson Stone, and I am absolutely pumped to have this guest on this week. Uh, he's been a friend for a long time, and I'm super excited to, uh, to see what he's doing nowadays. Um, I'm sure the people listening already see that. That's probably why they're listening to this episode. Um, but I remember him when we were wrestling in Oklahoma, uh, you know, in front of like 25 people putting together banger matches still. And I knew he had fire in the belly then. So happy to see what he's doing now. But uh, welcome to the show, Fuego Del Sol, my man. What's up, Jackson Stone, everybody? It's, it's <laughs> happy to be able to talk to you on here, man. Yeah, we haven't we haven't been able to see each other in person in a while. You've been you've been a bit busy. Uh, a little bit, a little bit, maybe a little bit busy, and then a pandemic, of course, just slowed everything down. Yeah, yeah, I, we'll we'll touch on that a bit and how that was for you and your family, and and kind of how you guys uh, managed to get through that. Um, and we'll get into some more wrestling stuff too. Um, but I kind of want to uh, talk more about your background and how you kind of got to the position that you're in now, because I think that's a valuable tool for a lot of young wrestlers that are probably going to listen to this, that may be feeling like they're, they're stuck in a spot that they may never be able to get out of. And you and I both know that's not true. You just got to keep kind of putting in that right work uh, and have a mindset to be able to kind of overcome whatever comes your way. Um, before we dive into that, I got a one specific question I want to ask you. Um, it's just the same way I start every podcast episode and I think it's very important. Um, and the question is really simple. Um, I think I kind of know how you're going to answer it, but I, I hope you answer it openly and honestly. Um, so we can have, you know, a really nice deep conversation about what's going on in, in your life and in wrestling in general. So Fuego, my man, how are you doing? Like for real, for real. Dude, I, uh, I say this a lot to people and I, I try to be as honest as possible they say say they say on some days you know uh you're you either can look at life with a glass half full or a glass half empty well i'm a glass full person always not just half full it's overflowing we're good i feel like no matter what situation i'm in i try to wake up and just enjoy life like me i know it's not um and it's not there's not always easy days but I thoroughly enjoy waking up and living every day. I, uh, I see it as an opportunity for me to go do whatever I want to do. That's what, another thing. When I turned 18 or when I started making money for the first time, I realized, oh, wait a minute. I can control my own life. Like, I don't have to worry about expectations of parents or anyone else. Like, I love my family. I love everybody. You know, I try to, to be a positive influence on everybody's life. But at the end of the day, you control your own destiny. And I feel like as long as you are aware of that, you can make the day whatever you want, even in the hard times or in the bad times. As long as you don't make excuses for yourself, you just think think positively do the things that make you happy. And that's what I try to do every day. And it's been working for me so far. Like I said, I know it's not for everybody, but for me, I've always just been programmed of like, hey, man, how can I enjoy life today? I have even told people I can wake up in, in jail for the rest of my life tomorrow and I'll find a way to smile and be happy because that's just the way I am. I mean, I, I love that. You know, I I want to I want to kind of double click on a few points that you made there. One, how did you develop that kind of optimism? Because I, I work with a lot of athletes uh, in in my life, uh, youth athletes, high school athletes and even college athletes on how to develop more optimism and optimism is about even when things look very bad or you're in a bad spot or in terms of a sports aspect, you might be losing the game. How do you, how do you see yourself coming out on top? What's the good that you view in that situation? So how did you develop um, that optimism? Was it a, a coach, a mentor, a friend, or was it just something that you kind of did on your own? Oh, uh, I don't, I, I, I think uh, both of my parents are very happy people for one. And I, uh, my dad is always about having fun. I think I get it a lot from him, but uh, he was a very work oriented guy. Like he, he, he didn't miss a day of work for 10 years. And, and in his mind, he was just like, it doesn't matter if I'm sick or like, I have a job to do. I've made a commitment and I'm going to do it. And I kind of, we kind of had to live by that in school as well. It's like, Hey, you don't miss, we don't miss days of school because you, you have to go. And I realized it's like, listen, this is the situation I'm in. I can either sulk on it or I can make the best of it. Because uh, sometimes you can't, you can't uh, change your situation, but you can change the way you look at it. You can change your attitude. And that's my biggest thing is like attitude is everything uh, when it comes to character. And I feel like 
regardless of whatever situation you're in, how, how crappy it may be in the moment, your attitude defines it all, even in the worst situations. So I don't know how to tell people to change their attitude because like I said, some people just wake up on the wrong side of the bed every day. And I, I, I don't know how they do it because I honestly, I just try to uh, figure out ways to be happy. No matter what situation I'm in, I can change it. Like I can crack a joke. I can uh, think about something that makes me happy. I can talk to someone that makes me happy. Like even working out, like I've never been the biggest fan of working out, but I'm, I, I made sure I even, I, I made myself no excuses. I built a freaking home gym myself. You know, so that way I'm not, uh, I, I can't, there's no excuse to be made. Even in the worst situations, make the best of it. That's how I feel. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, I, we hear your kids in the background, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, asking questions right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in terms of optimism, which I totally agree with you, right? It's just how we view things, our perspective. The lens we have changes everything, right? From looking at something with a, okay, I can learn from this, or this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. So it's how we view it. And that takes time and patience to kind of understand what life has given you and how it, and how it can benefit you in a positive way. Um, but seeing it through that lens, right, is really beautiful. And it's obviously brought you to the position that you're in right now, which we'll get into in a bit. But... I want to talk more about when you were in the trenches with, with, with wrestling, with independent wrestling, and things weren't going the way that you wanted them to or you perceived them they should be going, right? When you were wrestling in Oklahoma and you feel like you were stuck there, like what was your mindset there? How did you know that you were going to get out of that place and do, and do bigger and better things? Um, maybe it was just blind confidence at some points, but I also feel like um, I see, I've seen it so many times, so many uh, wrestlers, it's almost like watching a, uh, a, a piece of fruit just sit there and rot. Like the business sometimes just sucks the life out of indie wrestlers. Mm -hmm. But I, why I did this in the first place is because I just loved being a fan of wrestling, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, if as long as you can, and I know it's hard, but as long as you can keep those fans off of home, it's 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 almost impossible for me to just stay bitter about it. So, uh, like, I feel like a lot of guys get bitter or get mad because they see other people surpass them or move on or go do bigger things, and they are jealous or envious of those situations. I want to be in that spot, or I don't think this person is better than me, or you know. And like, I had some of the same things that I wrestled like. Like four or five guys went on to get signed in a matter of months. And I was just, and it was like eating at me. I was like, well, what do they have that I don't have? Or what what can I do that they're doing? Or what do they see in them that they don't see in me? And instead of thinking like that, I just looked at it as motivation. Like anytime I ever find myself getting bitter about it, I always looked at it as just like, hey, if they can do it, I can do it. There's no, like, they, I feel like even even in my own head, if I think, hey, we're on the same level. So if they can make it, I'm right there. I can make it. Even though it may sound brash, the way I look at things. Uh, but it was hard. I'm not going to sit here and say it was easy because, you know, for seven years I grinded to get an opportunity. And this opportunity that I finally got kind of fell in my lap and didn't even, you know, I absolutely say I worked for it. And I always say that opportunity is just when uh, luck meets preparation. But it, there's no... I think that's the scariest part. There's no clear path. There's no, hey, go to college for four years, get a job right afterwards in that sense of wrestling because it can happen for a multitude of people in a thousand different ways. And so that's the scary part. It was like, uh, I always pictured myself when I was younger, traveling everywhere, going, hey, if wrestling's in Philadelphia, I'll move to Philadelphia. If wrestling is in uh, California, I'll move to California. But um, I didn't foresee myself falling in love and getting having a family so fast. So then when you, your circumstances uh, change and you have to worry about other people and like, hey, I'm in Oklahoma now, so how do I make it work in Oklahoma? It can sometimes, you know, uh, create opportunities to be unique and still find ways to travel, but it could also, it could be detrimental sometimes and like scary and, and make you mad about different things. And so um, even in the, in the worst moments, I just know I had to keep going because I love professional wrestling. And 
uh, you can't, watching like a Daniel Bryan do something crazy or have a great night on, on Raw or SmackDown, how does that not motivate me to be a man? I want to make those moments. I got to keep going. You know, watching uh, Sammy Guevara, my best, one of my best friends, you know, get to AEW for the first time. I'm like, I mean, regardless of, you know, how mad I might be that I'm not in those situations, if my best friend can do it, I'm seeing him take over the world. How do you not keep going? Like, I... I feel like some guys get so bitter about even because uh, they get so entrenched inside. And I feel like that's the whole reason that that you started being a wrestler in the first place because you love wrestling. So how do you stop watching it? That'll take the heart out of it. And when you take the heart out of it, that's that's when you, you know, you don't want to do it anymore. And I feel like yeah. I never lost heart. You never you haven't lost your heart, man. That's what makes you you. You know, that's what makes people gravitate towards you as a person, as a wrestler. Uh, and that's why you're captivating, not only because you do a sweet tornado DDT, right? But, <laughs> but, uh, but because like you're genuine in what you mean and what you say, and, and you've come from a place, you know, uh, of that, of, of pure heart, of pure love for, for the business. Um, and I say that all the time, like we get it, we, we get into wrestling to have a professional wrestling match. One, once you have one, You've, you've lived a dream. You've lived a dream. Yes. Maybe not on the scale that you saw it on TV, right, in front of 80,000 people when wrestling was at its peak because all of us generally started in the Attitude Era when wrestling was crazy. But now it's coming back, right? We have so many different companies and people getting jobs and getting signed and doing everything that's amazing, right? So it's coming out of this new platform that's even more incredible, in my opinion, because I'm living in it. I'm seeing my friends do it. So it's more special to me than, you know, something 30 years ago. But... But we still had one professional wrestling match. That's a dream come true. Now, whatever you do from there, right, is your choice. Whatever your perceived uh, meaning of success is, that's up to you. If success is a world championship, is a TV contract, or success is being an indie wrestler or just having it as a hobby, that's success too. you got to define that for yourself and allow that to, to ignite your passion and, and have the journey along the way that's very special, like meeting people and getting new places and – you know, uh, all that stuff is, is just as important as, you know, anything else, really. To touch on two points that you just said there, I, uh, I, that's another thing. I vividly remember the moments right before I walked out of the curtain for the first time ever in a pro wrestling and, and for, to, to make my debut. And like the butterflies that I had in my stomach, man, like it's a combination of a little nervousness, but just pure joy and excitement of what I was about to do. Like anytime I get upset or maybe, hey, I don't really, like, I'm not super excited about my match on the card tonight. I just remember that feeling. And then not only that, the joy that I felt after the match was over, coming through the curtain and just taking that breath, like sigh of relief that, oh my God, I did it. I'm a professional wrestler now. Like that moment in particular is just something that is ingrained in me so hard that I, absolutely love and then another one you you call me genuine and i firmly believe and i and i've felt at this a lot of times but before you can be a before i the second aim every day is waking up and being a good professional wrestler the first aim is just being a genuine good person mm -hmm. i regardless of how good of a wrestler anyone is if i meet genuinely good people they'll the we're going to be friends for life. I tell people that all the time. If, I, if you're genuine and I can feel it, no matter what you like, no matter what your interest is, no matter how diverse maybe our uh, interests compare, we're going to be friends. <laughs> it's true. You can, you can feel that energy, man, right away. Like before anyone even speaks, you can kind of feel the vibe they put out, the energy they give, their authenticity. Like that stuff means everything. Um, and, it, and it's even more unique in pro wrestling because – when I meet you at a pro wrestling show, I already, for one, know that we have a very, very, very unique common interest in loving pro wrestling. So anything on top of that is, is even more special and you can build really deep relationships out of that. So yeah, absolutely. You're 100% right, for sure. <clears throat> but I want to touch on, I want to touch on your YouTube uh, and your social media because I want to ask you just a very broad question and then we'll kind of get deeper into what you've done on social media and on YouTube. How important do you think social media is now to, to the modern professional wrestler? It is, uh, I would say it's 40% of your job. 
like a 60% is gimmick, wrestling, promo, all of that. And then the 40% is all social media. It's you are your own promoter. Like if people don't know about, like I have a couple of friends who are in wrestling that don't have a Twitter page and it makes me upset. <laughs> like it irks me like, hey guys, you get, like not only one, to promote yourself, but to stay aware of everything that's going on in the, like, you have to know your audience. And I feel like that's the, and I know people say instant gratification, but that is the immediate uh, reactionary thing is on Twitter, you can immediately see how, how you did. Like it's instant gratification or, you know, instant despair, depending on how you did that night. But you can see the way of the world in that sense really fast. You can get a lay of the land and see how fans are, uh, what fans are reacting to what, how many fans are reacting to this, it's for, you could have one gif go viral and you're wrestling everywhere. Like uh, a couple of buddy of mine, um, of mine Dante line and, uh, or Dante, I want to say it's line. Yes. And Ninja Mac in Houston had a banger match that had a bunch of crazy moves go viral uh, on, on Twitter. And now they got booked on George and spring break because of that. Like that's the biggest indie show there is. And then those eyes, they're going to be eyes from other TV companies watching those gifts and watching those shows. It's imperative that you have a Twitter account, an Instagram account, promoting yourself almost on a daily basis. If not, at least every other day, you need to be posting something to get hate to say it uh, out of sight, out of mind. Like I live in Oklahoma. I feel like it is crucial that I show people stuff because they're not seeing all of my wrestling matches every week. So if I don't talk about it, if I'm not putting it out there, they, it doesn't exist in some mm-hmm. some instances. So like that was crucial to me because I lived in Oklahoma. I feel like I had to go out and promote myself because nobody's going to do it for you. And uh, I feel like if a wrestler really wants to make it right now, you have to be on top of your social media game. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be creating uh, content and then, and um, you know, and social media has a, uh, has its pros and cons just like anything else in life. Right. Obviously nothing is, purely good or purely bad, right? There's light and dark mixed with everything. And that, I think that's an important distinction to make. Um, but it's how you manage it. It's how you post about it. It's what you want to see. And that's how you create your content to, to your audience and how you want to be viewed and how you present yourself. Uh, and it's an important way to, to reach a worldwide audience. You know, if I have a conversation with you in person and we post it on social media like we are, it can be viewed by millions of people and it can resonate with wrestlers that we've never met before uh, and that's the beauty of that. That's the cool part of, of posting stuff on social media. And now I want to get into another part of it, of, uh, of getting past like the fear of posting on social media, of putting yourself on a public platform for people to judge you. Um, that's scary. And that's a hesitation a lot of people have, which I totally understand. But you started posting on YouTube a long time ago, way before you, you put on the mask. Um, so what... You know, what was that like for you? Like, I mean, and having your videos blow up, what was that kind of transition for you? It's so funny, right? Because uh, as a 14-year-old kid, you are not expecting any of this. To, like, literally, it, this was my thought process. Hey, I got a camera for Christmas. Whoa, I love wrestling. Why don't we just wrestle on the trampoline and record it? And we, <laughs> I throw it on YouTube, not expect, like, hey, Man, this video hit 200 views, bro. We got 200 people out there in the world watching our stuff. This is incredible. This is incredible. This is crazy. And um, then, you know, just, but I feel like that's where my love for pro wrestling comes in. Because, like, you don't just want to put out one video. You want to make more. Okay, well, how can we make it different? How can we, like, it's so funny. Because, like, I started training in a ring for professional wrestling in 2014. But like for four or five years before that, I didn't realize that I was working on promos. I was working on selling. I was working on uh, remembering matches way back before I ever started pro wrestling because I was doing all this. So until I become about 15, 16, 17, before I realized, hey, this is actually, we can actually do something with this. This is actually picking up some steam. People are Coming back then because the first one of the first videos ever went viral is us pretending to be WWE superstars. So hey, <laughs> Jeff Hardy, The Undertaker in a in a you know the title of a YouTube video, people are gonna search up Undertaker and Jeff Hardy, and so that's how it kind of started. And when it started picking up steam, it was unbelievable. But 
I was so cocky as a 16, 17 year old kid. I was like, oh yeah, you, you're right. Cause like, not only, uh, not only are we getting views, but we're the best. I'm the best backyard wrestler in the world right now. So <laughs> of course it's going to get views because why not? Like there's no kids doing what I'm doing. It, it, it's such an arrogance thing. And I go back and watch some of my videos. And I just, I, I cringe at how, first of all, stupid we were and how cocky i was about how the stupid things i was doing <laughs> but um i think it's such a unique story because not only did we create something crazy on youtube but it was right as youtube had come along so it's so hard for someone now to go and try to start backyard wrestling and get viral on youtube it's like trying to like hey i'm gonna start gaming on youtube and try to have it blow up it's not easy unless you're super good at something or, you know, incredible something. It's not going to just blow up on YouTube because there's a, a, now everyone knows. We were doing, we grew with YouTube in a sense. And that's why we blew up like we did. But the moment, I say all this, 17 years old, and I got an email saying that, hey, we want to put ads on your videos. We'll do the partnership. And I started getting paid from YouTube. My life changed completely. Uh, one of the worst parts of my life, I would say, is uh, when I was 15, my parents divorced. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever went through. Mentally, uh, it was depressing. It was, you know, it just put a dark cloud over me for a few months. And one of my biggest escapes was calling my, my buddies up and be like, hey, let's just wrestle in the backyard for a few, you know, for a few hours. Let me get my mind off of it. And the more I kind of focused on, uh, on that, it kind of become therapeutic for me, cathartic for me to be able to focus on anything else besides what was going on in my, in my home life and just be able to focus on something I loved. And that was wrestling, whether it be backyard wrestling, professional wrestling. I learned how to edit myself. I learned how to commentate. I learned how to produce matches. I learned, I did unknowingly was training myself to be a better professional wrestler before I ever become a professional wrestler. And that's what the good part about it was. It was because it was such a cathartic thing for me and such a hard part of my life that I can always look at it and find, uh, find just, escapism in it you know I yeah <clears throat> amazing yeah thanks for sharing that um i, I sometimes take pauses in between because i like to think about i like to digest i don't want to be okay, like of course i don't like to be reactionary with with my words because you know words have a lot of power and meaning but absolutely um you also you also met a lot of people doing backyard wrestling that are now doing like awesome, amazing shit in pro wrestling, like on a really large scale, which I think is awesome. I mean, I don't know if we want to name any names, but people probably, oh, know, yes. people probably know them by now, but that's really cool too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Oliver, Ellis Taylor, uh, Myron Reed is a big one uh, because it's so funny, man. I'm just going to tell a story. Me and Myron, <laughs> we go way back. Like I, We had to be 15, 16 years old. And he messaged me one day and he's like, man, you got to you gotta come watch my video. Uh, we're, we're doing professor wrestling like you. And, but like, he didn't start like that. He come on, he come on my channel on one of my videos. It's like, hey, y'all want to see real professional wrestling, uh, real <laughs> wrestling or good, come watch my channel. He was trying to steal my fans away from me in my comments. Right. So then I go and watch his and it was significantly worse than what I was putting out. So I dislike the video. I comment on it and shit that. Right. But then he messages me. We work stuff out. We talk, apologize to each other. And I start giving him advice on it. Right. So he starts building his own little backyard empire up north. Kentucky and in Ohio, I start doing, I'm doing my thing in Alabama and we're kind of just, we're buddies, but we're rivals, friendly rivals, right? Mm -hmm. It's very, so stupid. It's so dumb. It's like, uh, you know, that, that friend that goes to another high school that plays the same position that you do in, you know, whatever sport you're playing. And you're just like, you, you're keeping an eye on him because you want to be better than him. But we were friends in that way. We were friendly rivals. And eventually, like there was always talk of, hey man, I'm going to come down there. I'm going to come up there. We're going to, we're going to have a match and we're going to do it. And eventually when I finally turned 18 and, and, and bought my own car, I, uh, I said, let's do this. So we, I, he had had a family member that lived in Atlanta. I, he went down to visit them. I drove up to Atlanta. We did wrestled in a backyard, uh, and met each other for the first time. And, 
and it's so crazy. It's killing it in MLW and on the Indies. But like that was another thing that almost ate at me, because for the longest time he looked at me as a mentor and uh, there's someone that was better than him. And I feel like because of where he was living at and that the companies he got to work for and work with, I feel like he surpassed me as a professional wrestler. And that was a bitter pill for me to swallow because I want to be the best. I want to travel everywhere. I want to, I want the fame and recognition that he's getting, you know? And so uh, it's always, I always have love for Myron and want him to do as well as possible, but it sucked. It, it, it was definitely a dark cloud that I was like, trying to push away. I was trying to let it motivate me and not make me bitter. Before a while, it definitely made me bitter because for the longest time, Myron was like the little bro that, hey, I'm on my, I'm on my rise. He's right there under me until he, you know, blew up. And now I finally blew up a little bit too. So I feel like we're more on an even playing field, which I told him this a couple weeks back in Mania Weekend. Uh, but he's always been like, he's always been one of the biggest supporters of me. And like, he's like a little brother to me now. So, but it's so funny to see me, him, Jordan. There's some more guys in, in, South, in North Carolina that are doing some things uh, on the Indies now. To see that, hey, not only did we love it so much that we were doing it in the backyard, that now we're doing this, we're doing the real thing. It's ridiculous. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's an incredible story, right? This the long, it's the longest running indie feud of all time. It has to be, dude. Come on, it's like. <laughs> For sure, for sure. I think wow. Sammy Zayn, Kevin Owens might have had his beat, but they're 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 in the big time now. So we yeah, now they're just having matches at WrestleMania. So I guess I know, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> uh, um, what year was it when you were fifteen? Oh, uh, that was two thousand and twelve. Yeah, I want to say it's two thousand twelve, right? I was born in ninety five. That makes sense. I probably turned. I probably, I turned sixteen. In 2000, in 2012, yes, that makes sense. <laughs> okay, so we're almost pushing 10 years, you know? Yes. Um, did, and you guys have recently wrestled, like, on an, on an actual indie show, right? Finally, after seven years of us both being pro wrestlers, yes. We, yeah, where was that at, and how was that? We finally wrestled. Oh, yeah, it was at uh, Indie Wrestling Expo uh, in Fort Worth, Texas, and it was awesome. It was just, like, such a full circle thing and it was um i was just very grateful to finally get that opportunity to do it and uh to say we did it and to see how far we both come and to be able to take that picture and be like hey we done this we done this in in the backyard on a trampoline in atlanta for nobody and a few hundred thousand people on, on youtube to do this and get paid for it professionally in, in Texas, it was just uh, such a full circle thing that I'm so thankful that we got to do it. It made me so happy, man. I'm so happy for that dude, and I love that dude so much. So to do that, just very, man, joy, joyful. I'm just joyful about it, dude. <laughs> I love that. Yes. I, I, Myron's awesome. Big shout out to him and, uh, and what he's doing. Um, but um, what you mentioned there, like, being being a bit bitter about you know him kind of gaining success a bit faster than you, there's a there's a there's a definite fine line between you know competition and comparison, right? Having competition with someone is very important. It motivates us and inspires us. Um, you know, picks us up when we're down because we're we're competing with someone that we value, that we look up to. Um, and then there's that fine line of crossing over into comparing yourself to that person, and that's where it gets dangerous because. We can't compare ourselves to others. We're not like anyone else. Our story is unique. Our journey is unique. Where we come from is unique. Our path is going to be unique. And so, yes, it's just like you said, right? Let's let's compete. Let's fire each other up. Let's build each other up, you know, because the pie, the wrestling pie is big enough for everyone to get a slice. But when we start comparing each other, um, that's when we need to kind of take a step back and kind of look at our life and see, like, what adjustments I need to make and, and where can I uh, better myself in, in my mindset in approaching my career as a, as a pro wrestler or just as a person in general. I love that. That was a great point you made. The comparison to, to competition point is, is incredible. And I say it like this because so many times though people take that comparison and they want to uh, belittle what the other person is doing or get bitter about what the other person said, reevaluating their self. And I feel like that's the best part of comparison is like, hey, this person is doing this correctly and well, 
what am I not doing these things? What can I do? I feel like that as long as you're always trying to get make yourself better instead of trying to, to it's better to uh, realize your faults and make yourself better to, to see fault in someone else to make yourself feel better. And that is the biggest thing I feel like people need to learn when they because like I don't think comparison is horrible. It's only if you let it seep into you and try to when you start looking for faults in other people to make yourself feel better is when it gets bad. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, cause the biggest downfall to, uh, to human potential is not taking an honest look at ourselves, right? Mm. Cause you, always, you have to take accountability for those things. We're always going to blame someone else or someone's situation or this person got it because of that. Right. <clears throat> we have to take an honest look into ourselves and take accountability for those things. And if we want to get to a certain place or a certain thing or do a certain something excellent or something elite, you know, it takes a lot of determination and accountability and readjustments and there's going to be ups and downs and setbacks and you're going to get punched in the face a lot. But how are you becoming resilient because of that? And how is it going to make you the best person possible and be able to perform in these really wild, you know, high pressure situations? And that's what it's really all about. So, yeah, absolutely, man. Spot on. Hell yeah. <clears throat> All right. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, currently what's happening in Texas, Oklahoma wrestling. I consider you a Texas wrestler because you're here all the time. Um, I consider myself that one. I consider myself a Texas wrestler. <laughs> and, you know, kind of the Texas, Oklahoma scene is, well, I mean, I don't know if we're one, but, you know, we, we interchange a lot. But I consider you a Texas guy. Um, and I know that you obviously love professional wrestling. We've been touching on that throughout this episode. Um, and where we're at now in Texas in terms of indie wrestling is leaps and bounds from where we were even two to three, four years ago. So talk to me about, you know, the state of, of Texas wrestling and uh, maybe a few guys that you have your eye on um, that people should pay more attention to. Oh, man, it's Texas wrestling. It's so cool to see where we're at now. I think definitely the streaming services that have popped up uh, through the years has helped that, whether it be Fight TV or IWTV or High Spots Network, whatever, you know, the case may be. But besides that, you, you can broadcast, you know, a paint drying and it doesn't mean people are going to watch. <laughs> you know, you could, yeah. You have to have good talent. And I feel like that's what Texas has had for so long. It's just been such a hidden thing that people haven't been able to see it. And now that we have distribu distribution, people can are aware of what's going on. And uh, I think a lot of that has to do with some of the, the companies that are trying to do big things and trying to put on awesome shows, whether that be like VIP wrestling, who's always been uh, putting on great shows, just maybe the distribution hasn't been the, the, the best of uh, getting it out there to show that. Uh, or the guys down south, New Texas Pro, um, Heavy Metal, um, Sabotage, all these companies that have bringing in this outside talent to work with some of this Texas talent as well and trying to put on the best show possible. Uh, I'm missing a, a many more companies right now. I'm going to get mad at myself or even, I'm going to have promoters messaging me the second. Day. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, but you're right. Like it's, it's all of them. It's, it's every single yes. one, you know, all those you mentioned and all the other ones, right. Just, just working together to, yes. to uh, highlight Texas talent while also highlighting what's happening all over the country as well. And that, and that's, I think that's the special sauce, right? That's the combination yes. that's really working. Yes. Yeah. Booker T's reality of wrestling too. They're not only are they uh, distributions, but they're, they're producing some of the best talent as well. Cause you got guys coming from all over the U S to, to work with Booker and them in Houston. And uh, there's just so many young guys that I've come up with now in this, you know, or seen come up in the six, seven years that uh, like the world, like, it's hard not to get better when you're wrestling guys like uh, Will Allday or uh, Cam Cole or the probably the best, I'll say it, the best wrestler in Texas that come from Texas, Gino Medina, you know. Uh, uh, there's, the list goes on and on. Kiefer Bartek, I love. Um, there's younger guys like Alex Arsenal that is coming up. Um, oh, my God, the list goes on and on. Of course, Jackson Stone. Who, <laughs> if you don't know Jackson Stone, what are you doing? Right. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for the shout out on my own show. That's nice of you. <laughs> listen, listen, for me and Moonshine was having this conversation a while back. When we name top five wrestlers in Texas, your name always comes up. So I appreciate that's it. That's how it goes. Uh, and that's another one. Moonshine Mantel, who's now that's right. Moonshine. in Kansas City, but he's 
he's flying back down a bunch. Um, I got again. I'm going mind blank because there's just a, a, an abundance of incredible talent right now in Texas uh, that I could list and go on and on and on. And Mysterious Q is another one. I'd mm. be. I love wrestling him just because he can do so many different things and he's so good. And now they're finally getting their just due, getting on these bigger shows uh, and like down here to so everyone can see that, that hey, Texas has now become a hotbed instead of the bubble, the black hole that we were. Yeah, dude. Amazing. Um, and speaking of, if anyone wants a little bit more information on Texas independent professional wrestling, I did a full podcast episode with uh, Kiefer Bartek and Dylan Dunbar, who are the owners and promoters of New Texas Pro and Heavy Metal. And it's basically 50 minutes of just speaking about Texas independent professional wrestling, where we were, where we're going, where we're at now. Um, and it's really quite a, an amazing episode. Um, so if you're interested in that, go check that one out. Heck yeah. um, but now let's, let's get into kind of the meat and bones, dude, of, of what's happening now in your life, right? We talked about a little bit of your history, kind of who you are as a person, um, your heart, your soul, and people can see that when you step through the curtain. Uh, I knew that the moment I met you. Um, but uh, AEW, amazing, dude. I couldn't be more fucking happy to see you there every week. Um, how did it start? How did it happen? You know, um, talk to me a little bit about that whole journey you've been through. Hi, right. I'm going to be just totally honest with everything here because I feel like that's the best way to be. Um, so the, so I feel like I was, uh, right before the pandemic hit, I feel like I was on a roll. I was in the best shape of my life when it comes to cardiovascular in-ring work. I feel like I was wrestling every week, multiple times a week. I get some of the best talent that Texas has to offer. I was traveling. I had a bunch of cool stuff lined up. Uh, and then when the pandemic hit, it killed all of that momentum. And uh, I kind of let it uh, get me. I kind of, I, I stopped. I stopped caring because I just felt like, oh, this is this is gonna be we're gonna be here for a long time. Uh and then out of nowhere, my buddy Sam, I I was very hesitant to ask because I saw him get a couple people opportunities. And uh, but I've always told him, dude, I'm your best friend, not because you're a good professional year. I tell him all the time he's a crappy professional wrestler. He's just created all the other stuff. Uh, I'm your best friend because I'm your best friend. It's like like wrestling aside, me and him get along. So I would never want to uh, use him for an opportunity. That I feel like if you're that good and someone sees it, they'll give it to you. And, uh, you know, we finally talked a little bit about that whole situation. And he's like, nah, bro, I can get you to AEW. And so last May I come, I had a short match, but it was a good match. It was against, uh, it was a tag match against Scorpio Sky and Frank Kazarian. And the match was literally four minutes, you know, it's forgetful. But the story behind it is that we were originally supposed to uh, wrestle after Dynamite went off the air for AEW Dark. And literally uh, out of nowhere, maybe 20, 10, 15 minutes before, Scorpio Scott run down into the locker room and said, hey guys, they switched us. We are now before the show. And so we had like literally 10 minutes to get ready put something together and go out there and do it. And wow. how professional they saw that, that we were and how good that we were in that uh, high pressure situation is what got us uh, the praise that we got after the match. And so that was a cool moment of just to show, hey, you know, even in a, a tense situation like that, we can make something work. And that was a good feeling. And that was just once in May and I didn't know if anything else was gonna come of it. I tried to do my best to network, make connections, take what they said and just use it to the best of my ability. And that led to another email in June. And I got to go back in June. And again, each time I went, I networked a little bit better. I talked to some people match that led to another match in July and we get there and they forgot to put us on the card. And so we're there and there's nothing to do. And it bummed me out so much because I'm like, I am, I, you know, it's just the ego of a professional wrestler or just the confidence of it. But I'm just like, I'm too good to be forgotten. It's how I felt that night. So it just, it made me very angry and upset me. But Sammy Guevara went out of his way, who wasn't scheduled to work that night. He went to Tony and was like, let me wrestle Fuego Del Sol on dark. 
I'll do it. Put us at the end of the night. We'll go at one o'clock in the morning and we'll wrestle. Uh, and that's what we did. He put it. He stuck his neck at me and we had the match and it was fun. And it was good. Uh, but I thought that might have been it. I had right after I left from there, I had to go back home to Alabama for a funeral. I, uh, I got COVID night, you know, I got COVID because of that. And, uh, I had to, you know, rest up, be off a month. And I thought maybe that's it for AEW. Maybe I'm not going to hear anything back. Then finally, I got another email in September to go back. And so I did once in September. And then finally, I had one more email in, in October that uh, I went and I wrestled Ricky Starks in a match that was two minutes long, if that. Maybe it was longer than two minutes, but it, it felt super short. Uh, stuff we had planned got changed. And so I really couldn't do anything that night. I was very upset about it. And I thought, man, I am just squandering this opportunity. Uh, or, you know, I just, I feel like I'm not getting the opportunity to show off what I could do. And uh, um, Sammy Guevara being the best friend that he is, just happened to be going to the Young Bucks locker room to try to get on BTE to compete for the BTE title. He snuck me in there with him just so I can hang out with the EVPs and try to get, have them get to know me a little bit better. And uh, he uh, he says, hey, guys, I see y'all doing this tournament for the BTE title, BTE title. Let me in it. And they were like, okay, well, who are you going to face? And he's like, well, you know, why not Fuego? And I was like trying to be, uh, you know, just blunt as possible. Like, guys, they'll be great, but I'm not booked next week. So I, if I win, you know, it wouldn't it, – and he was like – and then Matt Jackson – literally looked at me and he's like what the gimmick of the game what if that hey if you win we have to book you next week right so it took a crappy night of a situation of a match and then turned it into oh my god now i got this opportunity and sammy being the friend he is let me win hmm. uh, and so it led to me getting the book the next week against scorpio sky uh and that was the first time uh i got to actually um have a long match and really show off what I could do. It wasn't as good as I wanted it to be because I felt like I let the pandemic completely screw over my cardio badge. I just was out of shape. I wasn't where the shape I wanted to be in. I was still in good shape, but I wasn't in the shape I wanted to be in. And I almost felt like I, I was letting this opportunity slip through my fingertips. But through the connections I made backstage, like the whole, the, the week that I did get booked on BTE, uh, Sammy had to go to QT and be like, hey, the Young Bucks said that Fuego's got to be booked next week and QT books the extra. So he's like, okay, whatever. And then the following week, I did a bit with QT on Sammy's vlog. They got over and QT liked it and thought it was funny. And that night I, I, I lost the next round of the tournament to Matt Jackson. So I told QT, hey man, uh, I lost the tournament. So you don't have to book me next week. Uh, he, he laughed. He's like, and it led to a booking the next week. And then it led to Sammy again being the best friend ever, getting me and Cody Rhodes in a bit together. Cody liked my energy. Cody liked what we were doing, thought it was funny, said we should do more stuff. Then that led to QT wanting to do more stuff with me. That led to a whole little storyline that happened with me and QT to where it said, hey, guy, Fuego, you just, you're here every week now. So even though I didn't have a contract, I was told to be there every week, which was a great feeling to have. So it just led – one thing led into another – whether it be good networking or being in the right place at the right time or having the right, making the most of the opportunity given to me an incredible friend that led to me to be being where I'm at right now. Yeah. That's such a good story. Um, such a good story. What, what I hear mostly from it is you, well, you froze, so I don't know if I should keep <laughs> I can hear you. I just can't see it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, there we go. Um, what I mostly hear from that is, is even when you're kind of dealt a bad hand, you still made it a good day. Um, and I think that goes right back to what you were saying at the beginning of the day or beginning of the episode when I asked you how you're doing. You know, uh, that's all about that optimism, seeing the good things um, and believing in yourself. I think that you have a lot of belief in yourself. And that makes you a resilient person because you know if you're given that chance, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna make the best of it. And uh, and that's 
and that's all life really is. That's all you can ask for. Um, so I'm, I mean, I don't know how much this means to you, but I'm really proud of you. And I Thank think it's, you. and I think it's amazing what you're doing. Um, uh, I don't know how long we'll see you at independent shows, even though I'm not really wrestling right now at the moment, but, uh, dude, amazing. So happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's weird, man, because like in wrestling, I feel like I have a lot of things that you're at that I need to be doing better. But Sammy said this to me, and then uh, later on, Cody has said this too, which is unrelated completely. And I'm not trying to blow smoke of my, you know, I'm not trying to gas myself up. I'm just trying to gas yourself up, baby. I want to hear it. Come on. I'm relaying something that other people have said. And it, it kind of made me realize it was an aha moment, a light bulb moment for me. Is that for some reason, whether it be the universe likes me or what, that uh, I have this this given likability about me. There's something about my aura, my presence that people enjoy being around. Uh, and it's easy to root for a guy like that. And I don't know what it is. I just try to be the best me I can be, whatever that means. And people enjoy it. So I am thankful for that. Well, yeah. I mean, it's an undeniable frequency, right? You're, you're, putting, out, you're putting out good vibes into the universe and the universe is giving it back to you. Right. We we only attract what the what we become, right? So if we strive to become a good person with integrity and heart and character, those are the things that are gonna come directly come back to us, right? Um and, and you're seeing the fruits of those of that, that come into your life. I'm seeing that in my life, you know, and, and that's what I, I talk about a lot on this podcast, right? You know, and I think it's uh, uh a beautiful story that you said to remind people that, you know, when we're in the trenches we can get out of them. You know, we just got to believe in ourselves uh, and have the support system around us of good friends and good people that also have our back. And, and you have that's, that. That's, that's a huge point, right? The support system is what you said right there. And I feel like when people are depressed or they're down, that is the biggest thing that maybe is missing for them. And mm -hmm. so what the biggest advice I try to give to people is that, uh, somebody that you're around, or the friends that you're around, maybe, or, or lack thereof, is why you feel the way that you feel. But with the, the glory of the internet now, you can find whatever it is. If you're into uh, off-brand Legos, I promise you there's a group of people that love it just as much as you do out there that you could you know, find and enjoy. If you like you know, architecture or uh, you know, physiology, whatever you like, you know, whatever it is, you can find a group of people, like-minded people that want to talk about it, that want to be about it, that want to enjoy that with other people. And that's my biggest thing. I don't care what it is you're into. There's people out there that enjoy the same thing you do that will enjoy t interacting with you about it. And uh, I feel like that's the biggest factor people don't understand when they talk bad about people that are going through depressive states or in a funk is that maybe they don't have the support system that you have around you. And to try to take yourself out of that and put yourself in someone else's shoes and try to, you know, give advice to that. Even I was always that kid that if there was a new kid in school, I would want to go up to him and talk to him just to kind of, you know, ease that, you know, fear that those new kids might have. Whether they wanted to like me or not, I was just overly friendly like that. So I feel like everyone tries, needs to think like that because people don't understand about people rarely put themselves in other people's shoes, but they don't understand how big a support system is. Uh, a guy in wrestling, a seminar I went to early on, he told me that was one of the, he told me three things you need to make it in wrestling, unselfishness, cardio, and a good support system. And I have one of the most amazing support systems around me. So maybe I'm lucky or blessed in that sense to, and I can have that blind optimism because I have all these great people around me where other people might not have that. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right, man. Just about having a little bit of empathy for other people's situations uh, and trying to be kind, you know, because we don't really know what other people are going through or what they've been through. Um, and having that empathy and that kindness, uh, it truly does go a long way, right? And if you feel like you're a person who's misunderstood, the way to kind of fix that is to go and try to understand other people, right? Because in the midst of that process, they're going to understand you. Right. If you feel like you're lonely, the, the idea is to go out and go connect with other people, because then you have people who actually care and understand where you're coming from and who you are. 
And so like if you meet there. if you meet like this uh uh this jag of a baseball player and you see that he can talk well and he has got this wrestling thing down and you kind of look jealous when you first meet him and think, oh, this guy must be an asshole. Until you really talk and get to know him and find out what a genuine, good-hearted person Jackson Stone is, <laughs> you know, you're never going to understand unless you do that. And I was that one of those people. First glance, immediately judged you when I first met you. I was like, oh, this guy is going to be an asshole. I just know it. He looks, he's got that look of, a, <laughs> of an ass, like uh, a guy who knows he's good. He's so good and he knows it. That's what I thought of you when I, when I first met you. But until I got to know you, I tell Will all day this all the time. I tell Will all day, I was like, I wish you were an asshole because then I'd have a reason not to like you because you're so good at everything else. And then you're a good person on top of that. I have to be friends with you. Mm -hmm. I wish you were an asshole. So that way I didn't like you. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Will all day. Yes. Yeah, he's awesome. He's on AEW Dark too recently, I think, a couple times now. Yes. Uh, which is super cool. Yeah, he's a superstar. Yeah. Um, but uh, man, thank you for uh, for coming on, dude, and doing this with me. It's fun. We should do it again. I enjoy it. We should. Thoroughly. Awesome. Um, do you have any uh, closing thoughts? Where can people find you uh, if they don't already if they don't already follow you? And uh, uh, yeah, any closing thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, any stories? Yeah, closing thoughts. Oh, guys, first of all, uh, I feel like this conversation is great. So have more conversations like this. Discords like this is the best. Just go out of your way to talk to people that have positive mindsets. It'll help you tremendously. And uh, now, when it comes to shameless self-promotion, I am great at that. On Twitter, you can find me at Fuego Del Sol. Got that changed recently. It was a New Twitter day. handle, baby. Yes, sir. I, I just got to get that blue check mark. It's coming soon. <laughs> On Instagram, Fuego Del Sol underscore. I have a Facebook, but I get overwhelmed with so many friend requests now that I really don't check it. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then ProWrestlingTees.com slash Fuego Del Sol, you can get all my merch because I'm not signed yet and I have kids to feed. So please, please, I'm begging you. Do you want one of my kids not to eat? I had to pick one day and be like, oh, I guess she's eating and she's not because you didn't buy a t-shirt. So please go buy a t-shirt. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, speaking of your family, uh, I wish them the best. Um, your wife's pregnant. You're, she's due anytime. When this episode comes out, You'll have a, a third healthy, happy, beautiful baby, um, which is amazing. So my love to you and your family. Um, keep doing what you're doing, man. And uh, I hope to see you soon. Man, I cannot wait to see you. Thank you for all the love. Bro. All right. Love you, man. Thank you. Cheers, everyone. Thanks for watching. Share it with a friend and go watch AEW. All right. Bye.